0: Hello, welcome to the show, another episode, uh, this time coming to you a little bit later Sunday night. Just saw the Edmonton Oilers give away their season by blowing a 3-1 lead late in the third period, only to have Winnipeg rally to force the game into overtime, and then win in overtime uh, to basically go 3-up... 3-0 3-0 up on uh, Edmonton and Edmonton's done. Uh you know, I I didn't get to do my full predictions uh, throughout the uh uh throughout the postseason, but I told folks I did not like this Oilers team at all heading into the postseason. I don't care how great Connor McDavid has been playing. I didn't like this Oilers team. I thought this Oilers team reminded me a lot of the Rangers, in how they play oftentimes, because and actually a worse version of the Rangers, because I think if you take Connor McDavid off the Rangers, and you take Mika Zibanejad off the Rangers, I think the Rangers still are a better team than the Oilers. Uh, but they, But their style of play does remind me a lot of the Rangers in that I don't think when push comes to shove, they actually have a plan B to execute when teams muck up the game and they just don't like it when things don't go easy for them. I I just, uh, I really don't like uh, what I was seeing uh, from this Oilers team. And I know the jets kind of went downhill uh, towards the end of the year, but the issue Uh, for this one. And I know people want to go by regular season matchups, but the regular season is different from playoff hockey. It, it just is it, it, you know, there's a certain mentality that you have to have. And it's the, the, the thing is, is that Connor McDavid. Yes. He had a phenomenal year, 104 points, uh, in, uh, the 50. Oh God. How many games did we play again this year? 56 games. Uh, I'll I'll double check that. But, uh, you know, the, the problem is, is that even with the tr- terrific season McDavid had, and it was a great year, the problem is, is that, you know, if we're being honest with ourselves, with all the contributions that McDavid had and his scoring numbers, there is no way that the Oilers should have finished second to Toronto in in the North division. That was a weak, the weakest division of them all of the four hubs, in my opinion, uh, you know, Vancouver got hit with a COVID outbreak. Ottawa was one of the worst teams this year. They came on strong late, but you know, they were one of the weakest teams. And I know the point differential between the Canadian teams are higher than other teams, But I just think the Canadian teams overall were the weakest of them all. I think they just racked up points against each other. I really don't like any of the North teams this year. Uh, You know, and, you know, uh, over the course of 56 games, to me, the style of hockey was weakest amongst the North. Now, is that saying top to bottom? uh, You know, they were all the weakest teams? No, I'm just saying... If we're comparing the top of the division versus the top of everywhere else, I thought the North was by far the weakest. Uh, because as much as I poo poo the East, and I still don't think that the Pens are necessarily good, uh, I think they're an above average team at best. I think Sidney Crosby did his best work. But if you're telling me which team I'd rather have in a postseason, between the Penguins and the Oilers, I, I would take Sydney and the Pens over uh, McDavid and the Oilers. I just don't think the Oilers are very tough in terms of their playing style. And I think a lot of it is reliant upon McDavid being Superman. And in the postseason, it is very hard to do that when everyone's concentrating on you. And the ice is definitely going to shrink. So they're down to 3 I don't see them finding a way out of this series. I really don't. And to me, it's not a massive upset. I know some people would classify it as such, but I, I just don't think the this Oilers team was that good. I think it, it, uh, McDavid masked a lot of deficiencies, and Drysaddle had another uh, excellent year, but it's a two-man show. The rest of those lines on Edmonton, I just don't think are that good. But, you know, looking at the rest of the playoff series, let's see where we stand because we just had, uh, you know, a mild surprise in Washington getting eliminated already earlier tonight by the Boston Bruins, but those were tightly contested games. It, it wasn't as though uh, it was a blowout or anything. It's just that, uh, you know, Boston was able to scrap out the uh, uh, the wins needed and I mean, you had three overtime games uh, to start the series uh, and the Bruins came out uh, uh, on top two of the three of them. You know, I just kind of look at it as, you know, those were very tight games, but the caps were not scoring goals. And if they're not scoring goals, Boston's going to win a more defensive type game uh, overall. Now, I, I just think that, the East at the top were very closely bunched together. I don't necessarily think that the top of the East is necessarily going to match up well against Tampa or Colorado or, uh, um, or against Vegas. I, I just don't, but you know, I think they can always make it a competitive series because they know how to play a certain style, which is, my biggest critique of the Rangers is getting ready for the postseason. The Rangers never had a set style. And that's exactly why I criticize Edmonton. I think they're in the exact same boat as the Rangers, even though they have the best player in the league. So, uh, Washington goes home early, but you know, this caps team, their window was closing anyway. Uh, you know, so the, the Bruins are going to go on to face the winner of the Penguins and Islanders. And, you know, Again, this Islanders team doesn't go away. They play a very scrappy style. They beat the pens. It, it's series tied up at two. You know, I don't know how this game's going to go tomorrow night. Uh, you know, I can see the Islanders scraping by another win it, you know, in a tight game because uh, the Islanders play a very defensive style. And again, Pittsburgh has plenty of deficiencies, one of them being that Evgeny Malkin is not healthy. So you're relying on Jeff Carter to be the number two option on Pittsburgh uh, to uh, supplement uh, uh, supplement Crosby in his later years. And, you know, I don't think they necessarily have the offensive firepower of certain teams, so it's harder for them to just put it on the Islanders. They just have to pepper the Islanders with shots. And with the structure of the Islanders, they're going to block a lot of shots. They're going to give... And I think it's probably going to be Sorokin at this point. Uh, uh, Varlamov just has not looked sharp um, in that. Uh, So I think Sorokin's going to ride it out the rest of the way through. But, uh, you know, they give their goalies the best opportunity uh, they can to see the puck, uh, which is uh, Barry Trotz's style. So, you know, I think it's going to take an effort from someone other than Crosby for the pens to kind of put this series away or uh, uh Jerry in net for the penguins is going to have to steal a game. Uh, we haven't seen that yet from the penguins. Uh, the goaltending has been not bad. It just hasn't been stellar. So uh, we'll see how this uh, series plays out. But uh, you know, I still like Boston against whoever comes out of this series uh, regardless. Uh, over in the Central, we got Carolina uh, going back and forth with Nashville. Uh Nashville's won two. Uh, so they won an overtime game earlier today. So two overtime games in a row won by the Predators at home with fans in the stadium. Fans in Nashville make a difference. I'm telling you, it, like the fans being back. That's what was so weird with the bubble last year was the lack of fans. I thought it kind of helped Dallas. Uh, immensely. I thought if there were more fans it some of those results uh last year in the bubble probably changed. But uh, you know uh there there is a different element with the fans in there. And I think it gave Nashville a little bit of a, an emotional boost. I think Carolina's the better team uh by far. I, I think Carolina's just better than Nashville. Um but Nashville has been gritty and grinding it out. Uh but Flat out, the best team in the division, in my opinion, is still Tampa. Tampa's been coasting this entire year. Yeah, they've been banged up, but they've been coasting. And yeah, I know Tampa's the three C this year, but let's not make any bones about it. Tampa was kind of uh, coasting this year. Uh, I think, uh, without question, this the, the situation is Tampa is should be the favorite to win uh, the Central and put away this uh, Florida Panthers team. Now, uh, Tampa, I know they've got uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, the uh, Florida goaltender, uh, figured out. Um, Tampa's put up some good numbers this year, without question. I think offensively, Tampa doesn't have... I mean, uh, offensively, Florida doesn't have the talent that some other teams do. I think they're less talented than the Rangers, uh, uh, point blank. But I think what Florida does more than other teams is they come up with creative ways of generating offense with their defensemen, and they still manage to get the job done and kind of keep pace. So I think if Florida gets a... Any type of goaltending, you know, and I think it's it's still going to be Bobrovsky. Uh, you know, I, I hear reports of Spencer Knight possibly being used uh, for tomorrow night. I'd be shocked if Florida pulled that trigger, but it'd be ballsy if they did. But if Florida gets any sense of goaltending, then yeah, they can extend this series. But I think overall, the strength of Tampa is just going to wear down Florida at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, put this series away. So uh, we'll see if uh, Florida can extend the series, but I would be surprised if uh, Tampa did not put this game away tomorrow night, but we'll see. We'll see if we get a game six out out of this series. But uh, I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking we're probably going to close it out in five. Uh, Moving on uh, to the north and, you know, I talked to, You know, we already talked about the Oilers' struggles against the Jets. Uh, The other team, uh, the number one seed, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Canadiens. The Canadiens are a very gritty team. Uh, They play dirty. uh, Point blank. They play dirty. The refs don't call penalties against them. That's how they took game one off of the Leafs. The Leafs came back, thumped them in game two, five, one. Which is going to set up for uh, game three. And... I'll be honest. I'm very curious to see if the Maple Leafs uh, are going to fold uh, kind of the way uh, Edmonton has. Uh, you know, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious if the game doesn't come easy to the Maple Leafs, because I, I think uh, Carey Price can steal a game in this series. Uh, you know, he, he outplayed them in game one. I think he can steal another game in this series. I want to see if Toronto can win an ugly-looking game in the playoffs. We, we've, we've seen Edmonton struggle mightily in this uh, in this regard. I, I want to see if Toronto can actually execute, because this is why they couldn't get past the Bruins for so many years, is they couldn't win an ugly game. And this Montreal team is not the Bruins. They're not the Blue Jackets. They're not very good. Uh, point blank, the, the Canadians are not very good. They get by on the rest and not calling penalties. They're going to muck it up. But realistically, if Toronto plays within themselves, they should be able to salt this game away. Uh, I, I, just, I just don't know if they're going to be able to execute, but uh, they, realistically, this should be a done deal. And, you know, moving on to the West, uh, Colorado swept uh, the Blues in four games. Uh, not really that much of a surprise, uh, in my opinion. Uh, the other series, uh, we'll get a game tomorrow night. Uh, we got Vegas, you know, prohibitive favorites over Minnesota. Minnesota has just been playing tough and grinding games out. Again, uh, you know, similar thing with the playoffs. Like, you're going to find teams like this that you've got to win ugly against. Uh, Cam Talbot has played well in net for Minnesota. I expect them to do the same again. So, it, realistically, it kind of comes down to. Uh, Can Vegas just keep grinding out these games against uh, Minnesota? Because I do think uh, Vegas is far and away the better team, similar to Carolina, but they're going to have to find ways of generating uh, goals uh, because I I don't see Minnesota necessarily giving it away. Um, I know Vegas won pretty handily in game four, but I expect a a strong effort from the wild. tomorrow night, Uh, so it's interesting it's interesting, I think the Wild uh, can stave off elimination in game 5 but you know, Vegas should close this out in in 6, I I don't see it going to 7 but, uh, you know the uh, the, uh, Vegas Vegas has looked vulnerable at times, and not as strong as you would like heading into a matchup uh, A future potential matchup against uh, Colorado. But Vegas is uh, one of those teams that can derail Colorado before it even gets to the Stanley Cup final. So I'm very curious to see uh, how uh, Vegas responds because uh, I I do think that's the biggest uh, aspect that you're going to see is uh, whether or not uh, some of these teams can get. uh, uh, to get a, a, a to get it going, but uh, you know, it's still it's still an interesting mix for the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. I, I'm I'm still torn as to who's going to take it all. I still think it's going to be Tampa. Uh, truth be told, but you know, there are still the windows open for some of these other clubs. So I'll leave it at that. But uh, more to come on that front. Uh, so uh, the other topic that I'm finally getting to that I want to talk about was. Major League Baseball and the proliferation of no hitters that's been going on in baseball this year. There's been just a lot of bad baseball. Uh, batting averages as low as can be. Uh, you know, you got batting averages uh, under uh, two uh, two twenty eight for the year in baseball this year. You got more strikeouts than hits, and we have had. Six official no-hitters thrown this year. Technically seven. Uh, There's some uh, quasi-accounting for what's going on, but six official no-hitters thus far in the 2021 season. Um, You know, as far as other years, uh, the record is seven in the modern era of baseball, uh, which happened four times, uh, uh, 1990, 91. 2012, and 2015. Uh, you know, no hitters should not be this common, but, you know, let's run down what what, what kicked things off. So uh, the first no-no of the season was uh, the Padres, Joe Musgrove, uh, against the Rangers on April 9th. Then it was uh, less than a week later, we had uh, White Sox uh, starter Carlos Rod- uh, Rodon, uh, take out the Indians uh, on April 14th. Then it's our unofficial no-hitter. This one didn't count. Madison Bumgarner of the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, had an unofficial seven-inning no-hitter against the Braves on April 25th, uh, and it was not recognized by Major League Baseball and Elias because uh, the game did not go a full nine innings. Now, whose fault is that? Major League Baseball, because they kept this stupid uh, doubleheader rule uh, being seven innings, despite the fact that COVID protocols weren't in effect this year uh, in that regard. They just kept the seven-inning doubleheader because they wanted to get the games over with. But if you're going to change the rule to seven innings, then you have to have some other metric to account for it. I don't like calling it an official no-hitter, but just saying that the game ended at seven innings when... It's a no hitter going on. Just seems ridiculous. You you need to have a different way of stat accounting for that. Um, But that's on baseball for not even thinking about that potential scenario. Then, after uh, that game, we had John Means uh, of the Baltimore Orioles no hit the Mariners on May 5th. Followed up two days later. Two days later yes you heard that right uh when red starter uh wade miley uh no hit the indians again on may (laughs) you know i i just i i I just gotta look at it again the indians got no hit twice uh i mean i i I don't (laughs) i don't know what else you can say about it uh but yeah, uh, on May seventh, the uh, the the Indians got no hit by Wade Miley for the second time this year, um, and then uh, you know the uh, uh, the Rangers. Oh wait, nope i skip I skipped I skipped, uh, I skipped someone else. the uh, the uh, the Tiger uh, Tigers uh, starter Spencer uh, Turnbull. Uh, no-hit Seattle again. Uh, this time, uh, it was on um, uh, May 18th, uh, when uh, the Tigers starter Spencer Turnbull uh, threw a no-hitter against the Mariners. And then the next night, yes, the very next night, uh, May 19th, uh, Yankee starter Corey Kluber, no-hit the Texas Rangers, again this season. Uh, you know... Like I said, multiple teams getting no hit, and you know, you can say that there are a number of factors, but uh, let's just dive right into it. Um, Before this season even started, Major League Baseball said that they uh, they had released an internal memo to teams, telling them that their independent lab found that balls were traveling uh, farther than they should have last year. And the rationale, and let's just get a, I'm going to get a little bit technical. Uh, The rationale behind why uh, the baseballs were traveling further. And, you know, people, people were saying the balls juiced and I was one of them, but major league baseball's official rationale is that the strings of the ball were sewn too tight is their rationale for why the balls were traveling so much the past few years. So according to Major League Baseball's uh, internal lab results, uh, the hand-sewn balls at the Rawlings factory in Costa Rica were sewn too tight because by Major League Baseball's own mandates, all baseballs are supposed to have a coefficient of restitution, uh, which basically means that how bouncy the ball can be uh, their range is supposed to be between 0.53 to 0.57. But what they found is that because of the stitching of the ball, which again is done manually, they're saying the stitching of the ball actually pushed the average range closer to the higher end of the uh, uh, coefficient of restitution, the bounciness factor. Uh, they, The average was inching further up to the 0.57 than uh, where it normally would have been in previous years, and that was contributing to a significant lift in the ball carrying further than it normally would have in other circumstances. Now, mind you, with all this going on, the ball wasn't really traveling as much during the pandemic. So I don't know if baseball started changing the balls beforehand, but they said they only changed them this year uh, in terms of how the balls, uh, were being produced. So, uh, they, uh, Rawlings basically, uh, had, uh, adjusted their protocols to reduce the tension on the first three windings within the ball and the official stance from Major League Baseball is that it would bring the COR down to .01 to .02, and this would also result in a reduction in the ball's weight by 2.8 grams without changing the size of the ball. Now, I don't know about you, but when you say that the weight of the ball is going to be influenced and it's not going to have that material of an impact in the game. I'm calling BS because it means as though you were doing something else beforehand that resulted in that significant of a change in the ball's weight. Now there's one other factor that was not mentioned in that memo. And that fact is that baseball is implementing additional humidors throughout ballparks this year you know previously uh uh we had only five ballparks that were using humidors. before it was uh it started out with Colorado because uh, the rockies were just scoring way too many runs uh they used the humidor to start bringing down the offense there then it got implemented in arizona uh but uh the five teams uh prior to this year that had uh, human installed in their ballparks were the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, the Mariners, the Mets, and the Red Sox. This year, uh, the teams that had uh, humidors installed include the Astros, the Marlins, the Cardinals in St. Louis, and uh, Toronto, uh, which technically hasn't had it implemented yet because Canada's still on lockdown, so uh, the Blue Jays have still been playing in a boom box in Dunedin down in Florida uh, where the ball's just been traveling like crazy. I'm very curious to see if the Blue Jays ever get access to playing in Canada this year, how that would affect the team. But so far playing in that band box in Dunedin, the Blue Jays have uh, just been tearing the cover off the ball. I'm very curious to see with humidors actually used up in Toronto, how much of an impact it's going to have on them. So That's the fourth team. And the fifth team is the Texas Rangers. And in their new ballpark where there's a humidor, they've already been no hit twice. Now, the Rangers strike out a ton. They're not very good. But, you know, something is telling me that when you've got multiple teams that have been uh, no hit this year, having balls, uh, using humidors, uh, you, you got, you definitely... There's, there's definitely uh, 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 where there's smoke, there's fire scenario playing out here because, you know, Major League Baseball's not going to outright say that they've messed with the balls, but the evidence clearly is showing by the rise in no-hitters that the combination of poor tactics at the plate by teams just having three outcomes, whether it's uh, a home run, a walk, or a strikeout, and not much else that teams are just hitting themselves or not hitting themselves into some of these no hit games because they're just swinging for the fences and not choking up and trying to take more defensive at bats. It's changing up the game, you know, and making it pretty unwatchable in certain instances because we're seeing some bad baseball play out. But, uh, I do think that there is some merit to t- bringing up the science behind the humidors, wherein the humidors are uh, creating a drag on the ball where it's deadening the ball even further. So, you're, if you're saying already that by changing the stitches, you're loosening the weight, uh, the humidor technically is uh, cutting further back on how much the ball is going to travel. So, you know, again, that's. That's double uh, the pushback uh, on offense. And, you know, I think it's having a significant impact on the batting averages because these teams and players have been conditioned to focus on launch angle these days. They want these players focusing on launch angle because the analytics say that the home run is still the most effective way of scoring runs rather than stringing together multiple base hits. So, These teams are still accounting for it's easier to hit a home run than to string together multiple base hits. And as long as that's happening and you've got multiple factors impacting the ball, I think the whole focus on the launch angle is actually going to end up resulting in further cases of no hitters or perfect games or very few hits being given up in certain starts. And then you have instances like what the Braves just did to the Pirates say, which was just annihilate them. I think the final score was 19 or 20 to one. You're going to see some high variance in some of the results because of how teams are approaching at bats. It's just not, there's not any real sense of discipline uh, being exerted at all. And again, like I said, due to the science involved, I think we're going to see a lot of variance this year and not necessarily in a good way for major league baseball. So uh, more to come. We'll just keep monitoring the situation. But I wanted to bring that up because uh, I know I had a number of folks ask me, like, what is going on with Major League Baseball these days? Because it seems as though either it's a bonanza of runs or, you know, someone's getting no hit. And finally, before I close out uh, the show tonight, I wanted to touch upon this ridiculous uh, story with the Chicago White Sox and Tony La Russa. Uh, this all started uh, the other night with Tony La Russa uh, basically uh, dragging his own player through the mud, and you mean uh, Mercedes, uh, by complaining that Mercedes hit a home run when the White Sox were up uh, by 15 runs because he wasn't supposed to swing 3-0 on a pitch, even though the Twins had given up at that point and put in a positional player to pitch, somehow the White Sox were just supposed to give away at-bats when Major League Baseball, and their own arbitration rules, basically hold every at-bat against you if you aren't producing runs. So the way it works, folks, is that by your fourth year in Major League Baseball, you're eligible for arbitration, and teams literally go in and look at every single stat you've put up in your entire career and argue you are worth less than what you think you're worth, and they point to the cold, uh, black and white numbers as to what they put up in every single game over the course of their career as to why they shouldn't pay you more money. So with that being said, every at-bat matters. There are no unwritten rules at this point for baseball. There is too much money involved to give away at bats. So if a positional player is grooving in a fastball on 3-0, the fact that the Twins didn't put in another pitcher to just take care of the game shows how little they cared about that game. So for the Twins to get upset about that would be ridiculous. What's even more egregious is for his own manager, Antonio La Russa, to berate his own player and then apologize to the twins thereby creating the controversy because the next day the twins started throwing at uh, uh Mercedes because Tony La Russa said uh, that the White Sox made a mistake here. The twins didn't even act as though they were upset about it at the time, but until La Russa brought it up saying, Oh, well I really hope this doesn't result in anything. Now the twins feel pressure to actually do something about it. Because according to Larusa, the unwritten rules were broken. The, the, the fossil idea is being exerted here. First of all, his own players disagreed with Larusa as to the approach because they know what the score is. They know you can't give away at bats these days. If Larusa had a problem with running up the score in that game, he should have benched all of his starters and put in the bench players. Once the uh, Twins uh, had their. Uh, uh, had their positional players pitching. Like, you know, the argument being made as to why you shouldn't try to score runs is asinine, to say the least. So the fact that Tony La Russa created his own controversy out of nothing, alienated his own teammate, uh, his own players uh, from the message he's trying to get across and started a whole other situation where both uh, the Twins manager, Rocco Baldelli, and the opposing pitcher the next day had to get ejected and suspended. Toto La costs a bunch of people money by not keeping his trap shut. So, again, to me, this is a much ado about nothing, but it just shows how ancient and outdated the thinking is amongst ballplayers uh, of a certain age because they keep going by these unwritten rules. But if you actually took a step back and looked at it objectively, why is putting in a positional player not an insult and giving up on a game, how is that not a violation of the written rules? You're supposed to play hard every way through the way the the old-timers say it. But that's okay. But hitting a home run against the positional player, that's rubbing it in and running up the score. It's the most, it's one of the dumbest things that you can actually say. But you know what? I'm already wasting my time trying to talk about this uh, nonsense. uh, But uh, I just had to put in my two cents on on, uh, such a ridiculous story. But uh, that's going to do it all for now. Uh, have a good night, folks. Uh, enjoy because uh, we got uh, NBA playoffs. And, you know, didn't even get to talk about the NBA playoffs all that much. Uh, we, we had LeBron put on uh, acting clinic uh, uh, the last couple of days. Uh, I just I just have to shake my head. I, I, I can't even get into NBA with some of the nonsense I've seen. Uh, already uh, uh, heading into uh, these playing games in the playoffs themselves. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that another time, but that's all for now. Have a good night, folks. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the fantasy throwdown podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and all other major outlets.